2: Educate and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro.
1: Thank you, Darlene. For our guest today, please welcome Charles M. Salter, professional engineer and president of Charles M. Salter and Associates Incorporated. Charlie applies his expertise in design, construction, business, and law to his practice of acoustical consulting. Currently, he manages over 100 projects involving building acoustics and environmental noise analysis. His accomplishments have included work with the Skywalker Ranch State-of-The-Art Post-Production Studios, which won the National Engineering Award in 1988, and the Allied Professionals Honor Award from the American Institute of Architects California Council, and 1998. For more information, feel free to visit www.cmsalter.com. That's www.cmsalter.com. Hello, Charlie. We're thrilled and honored to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. <laughs> As we were discussing before our show, Charlie, I said I'm going to have to share with our audience that I'm going to be a bit biased because I, I, I firmly believe that the acoustics, every building, really, every, everywhere, really has the acoustics in it. But I think perfecting it is vital and so i want to share that with our audience and listeners that uh, i'm really very pro what charlie does so share with us some early inspirations how you became an engineer an acoustical engineer and you know where it may have started as far back as you can you can recall
3: i was at mit studying architecture and i took uh, two courses in acoustics from the best teacher that i've ever had bob newman Bob was an acoustical consultant, and I went to work for his firm 50 years ago. So he inspired me
1: with his teaching and then having a chance to work with him. Okay. So what was it? Was it something you said, aha, this is what I want to do? It didn't sound like you backed into it for sure. It was more the problem-solving nature okay. of okay. the one year that I
3: studied with Bob. He would uh-huh. tell us stories.
1: Oh, okay. And
3: so... I was inspired with his uh, teaching methodology, telling us stories rather than just being uh, fixated on the math of acoustics. And I still remember some of those stories that he told us in class, but some of the math I
1: can't do. Can you share with us any story, if you can recall? Well, he
3: told the students about an experience he had with the sound of a large auditorium in Detroit, Michigan. and how awful the sound was and (laughs) here the intended purpose the auditorium was to present Mm -hmm. audio and it was too reverberant and then he got hired to come in and fix it so stories of that type the problem-solving aspect that i was
1: uh, captivated by yeah what was there a methodology a formula or process that he shared with you to determine a solution
3: well yes during My education, I learned how to calculate reverberation time. I learned the standards for auditorium acoustics and other rooms of that type. And so what's interesting about acoustical design is that you have the objective standards, reverberation time, Mm -hmm. etc. But then you have the subjective qualities of a space where some musicians think the room is too reverberant and other musicians think the room is too dry. And so that is an interesting quality to embrace as an engineer.
1: Yeah. How about, you know, some of your recent projects, or let's let's kind of jump ahead a little bit, how did you begin, you know, Charles M. Salter Company? I was working for an engineering company in San Francisco,
3: and one day I realized that I couldn't work for them anymore, (laughs) that they were, (laughs) I didn't feel they were going to take care of me, a recession was coming along, and so... Started looking around for a job, couldn't find anybody I wanted to work for. And so reluctantly, 42 years ago, I started my own business.
1: Reluctantly? I, you said that reluctantly. Well, really. I,
3: it was yeah. my, my best bet. Uh, and I had no aspiration to have my own business. But that was my best choice at that time. And so started the business yeah. and it's worked out
1: well. How did it feel when you first started, when you really realized, that you know what, I'm going to start your own firm? How did you... Find clients, did they come to you? You went to them.
3: Yeah, I would find clients because okay. very few people knew me at that time. So I built the practice slowly and surely.
1: Yeah, can you share with us? You don't have to say the names of the, the the clients, but some of your early clients are they? Some of them even still with you, or did you have them for a number of years? Or?
3: One interesting story in terms of building the practice was a major lawsuit. I was hired to be an expert witness for. In the state of Nevada. And I had done some work in Nevada, so these engineers knew me. And I had never been an extra witness before, but they hired me. And because of that, I hired Tony Nash. This was 41 years ago, and Tony is still with me now. And Tony is an expert in audio, and he had courtroom presentation experience. And he was the right man for the job to come help me. And he and I uh, did the engineering work, the analysis, put together an audio video presentation for the jury. Then we went to Nevada and made our presentation and we uh, won the case. And what was interesting about winning that case is that about a year and a half after we won the case, I talked to the opposing attorney and the opposing attorney said to me, quote, I knew I had lost the case. When you had played that recording of the freeway noise that you were predicting, and you could hear bird chirping and children playing in the background. Oh. So that's what the opposing oh. attorney said to me. Oh. So that was the power yeah. of our educating the jury about acoustics. So that was a very important experience for us. It allowed me to hire Tony Nash, who at the time I hired him was a legend in mm-hmm. the Bay Area for acoustics, and he's continued to be very important to our firm. Yeah,
1: and architect. not a lot of architects aren't as focused on the acoustics. I call it, say, perfect acoustics. I don't know if that's a word yet, but I come up with it, perfect acoustics. What do they need to understand in relation to building requirements today, 2018?
3: Well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, what architects need to understand and also contractors have to understand is that there are industry standards and then there is the subjective aspect of acoustics. Mm-hmm. So if people complain about acoustics and there's litigation or an argument over acoustics if you meet the industry standards even though it was not implicit as part of the design then you obviously have a way of rationalize the quality of the space that people are living in Mm -hmm. or using. On the other hand, if you're below the industry standards, the room is more reverberant and is recommended, there's too much ventilation noise, the sound isolation is poor vis-a-vis the industry standards, then one can understand why people who are complaining would have a very good argument. And to the extent you don't meet industry standards, you could be judged as being negligent. Really? Negligent. Negligent. Because the AIA and other researchers in acoustics have promulgated these objective standards for, as they say, reverberation, sound isolation, background noise. The architect, contractor, engineer didn't meet those standards. And people are complaining. So that's what's important for architects and contracts to pay attention to. On all of their projects, objective acoustical standards, and then the subjectivity of the individuals that they're engaged with in developing the project.
1: Yeah, how would they go? How would they be proactive and foresee the sound issues on a project before it's even built, just in the you know in the even in the bin stage? How could they do that? Can they replicate the possibilities? Or that's what uh, you can do. Yes, we can replicate
3: what people would be hearing, but what's interesting in the course of design is that people may not trust their ears. They don't really want to judge on that basis. So you just say, well, we understand you have a loss of hearing, so therefore demonstrating what the space is going to sound like might not be the way that you want to make a decision. Okay. But here are these industry standards and we're designing the meet the industry standards. And so you can have a conversation, a very proactive conversation on that basis.
1: Yeah. Can you share with us a story? Oh, I, I hope it doesn't upset you, but you share with us a story where things were really bad and kind of went good, you know, on 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 the, on the basis of what you're we sharing with us.
3: Yes. Yeah, so I had a, a situation with a law firm. The lawyers were feeling that they didn't have acceptable speech privacy, and they were very angry at the architect. I got hired by the architect because his clients were so disappointed. So I went over there, and I measured in these rooms, and I said to the attorney who was complaining, I said, you have confidential speech privacy. You don't have inaudibility. So your offices meet the standards for attorneys. Now, if you had a recording studio, you would have to have inaudibility when people are talking in the adjoining room. But you have attorney's offices, and you have confidentiality. And the minute I articulated that based on my measurements, Mm -hmm. the attorneys calmed down. Oh, really? And what they saw as being a disaster, because they can hear, they said, oh, thank you. And then they patted the architect <laughs> the back, and we, we yeah. walked out with smiles. Because yeah. it was just a matter of educating and
1: communicating. Yeah, educating and communicating. How much... Do you do in addition to um, owning your own firm, but also educating architects and designers about the importance of? Uh, as I said, I came up with a perfect sound. Or is there a phrase you call for not just acoustics? Because acoustics is everywhere. It's just how do you measure perfect acoustics? How, are you sharing that advocacy? I know you teach at Berkeley. Uh, share with us, you know how how you get that message out on a consistent basis, and you know what's. Been your feedback from doing so?
3: There is no such thing as
1: perfect acoustics. Okay, so thank within
3: you. with, within you're welcome within the design realm. What we try and do is make things as good as they can within technological limitations. So they, within technological limitations. Okay. So no building is soundproof. Okay. You, you start there, sure. and then you make a building as soundproof as it can be within the budget and wall thicknesses and structural considerations architectural considerations and that's as good as it can be so so here here's something that I think you'll appreciate you have these places of entertainment throughout the world and they like to play loud noise late at night okay okay subwoofers <laughs> And so the approach we take with these venues is we say, okay, let's do as much soundproofing as we can within your budget and within all of the aspects, the doors and the windows. And, and, okay, that's as good as it can be. Then we tell these nightclubs, you need to limit the sound that your entertainers make so you don't violate the community noise standards. And so it's a two-step process that we
1: use with these buildings. How often do you go into a building where you know you could actually help them?
3: Well, I can't think of too many situations where I can't help. But I'll I'll tell you a circumstance I had a while ago where I chose not to get involved in the project. This was at Lake Tahoe, and it was described to me in the following way. We have this dance studio on the second floor of a wood frame building. We have attorney's offices directly below. We have a very uh, low budget. And I said, okay, I can't help you. (laughs) Okay, I can't help you because I just don't think that within the abilities of renting a space on the second floor and jumping on the floor that, in fact, we're going to be successful. You're listening
1: to The Modern Architect. KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM.
2: The Stanford Archive of Recorded Sound is a wonderful resource for those interested in classical music and jazz. The archive contains thousands of historical recordings and numerous collections of printed materials. It's located in the Braun Music Center on the Stanford campus. To learn how you can take advantage of all the archive offers, visit it on the web at lib.stanford.edu ARS.
1: We're talking today with Charles M. Salter, professional engineer and president of Charles M. Salter and Associates Incorporated. For more information, you can visit www.cmsalter.com. That's www.cmsalter.com. Charlie, what recent projects have you worked on or may be working on currently, if you're at liberty, to share with us?
3: I like working on a variety of projects, so I personally work on uh, office buildings, single-family homes. I'm really agnostic about the projects. I like helping people, so it just doesn't matter (laughs) what the issue is, as far as I'm concerned. Somebody calls up, they need my help, I'll talk to them, and I'll uh, give them advice, and either get personally
1: involved or delegate the work to one of my associates. Yeah. yeah I noticed it, especially before we began our taped show that there's a, I hope you don't get offended. That there's a youthful quality to you when you discuss acoustics. Is uh, is is what is it? And obviously, it's a passion of yours. But uh, if you can go beyond that and share with us, you know, some stories as to how you felt when you knew you came into something, and it was oh, it just sounded it either made you sick to your stomach or you just couldn't handle it. And then when you actually helped them, you know, what the result was. Any story, whether single family home or well, what... office building or. Movie set? <laughs> yeah, I recently
3: worked on the design of a home. It was a retrofit where the homeowner had trouble sleeping because of noise. Okay. He was a very light sleeper. And the sole purpose of my work was to mitigate noise intrusion into his bedroom. And so I was hired a little while later by somebody who had been to his house and this woman said to me, quote, she said, You did Joe's house.
1: Mm.
3: He had me there. It's perfect. It's the quietest house I've ever been in. And then she said to me, I love you. <laughs> really? Because she had hired me for her house yeah. and, and so uh, that was <laughs> that was pretty exciting. <laughs> Not too many clients uh-huh. say that they love me. <laughs> yeah. She actually said it to me twice oh. in the conversation. Oh, so, oh I would remember that. <laughs> so that so that was <laughs> A recent experience where uh, the work I did for one customer was appreciated by somebody who had been brought there. And (laughs) my original client was so proud of the soundproofing work that he shared it with his friends.
1: Yeah, The
3: sound isolation of this single-family home to mitigate the problem of his not being able to
1: sleep Uh because of noise. Ellie, and on that mitigation, general contractor challenges, you know, some of the ambiguous in respect to acoustics needs, et cetera, or actually even the deficiency or ambivalence. Share with us, you know, your your experience and your thoughts on that.
3: Well, I commiserate with a lot of general contractors who are attempting to bid a project. They review the drawings and specifications and Oftentimes, there is a degree of ambiguity and lack of clarity in the contract documents, and they're voluminous. So, how do you know what the intent is? Because things are relatively unclear in terms of perhaps the the acoustical design. But clearly, it behooves that general contractor and the subcontractors to gain clarity once they begin on the project. So at the end of the day, during the inspections and potentially post-construction acoustical testing, they end up executing the requirements in the drawing specifications accurately rather than there being a um, big argument over things not being done
1: right. Yeah. Have, they, have any of them shared that they love you as well or they no, express it? in never. in, in <laughs> Never. 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 <laughs> You've handled, you talked about legal case, and you handle a number of legal cases. In all those cases, do you see like how it could have all been mitigated? Yes, that
3: is something that is profoundly obvious in many of my cases, where had the acoustical engineer involved in the project or the architect done a better job of understanding the needs, and so after the building is built... There is an agreement. Yes, we, the design and the construction met the project requirements. So I'll I'll give you an example. This here again was a very profound experience that I had. Uh, This was a a well known fellow who um, wanted to have the best recording studio outside of Hollywood. Mm. And he hired an acoustical engineer and architect, and he articulated his uh, needs. And so they built the building, and there were a lot of complaints, and I got hired to be an expert witness on behalf of the owner. And so in talking to the owner's associates, they were explaining to me their disappointment in the soundproofing in a particular area, and I said, well, what could easily have been done is to get a subwoofer, get a bass guitar, play sound at the level you expect to play in this room, okay. and then educate you about levels of sound isolation that could be achieved with various wall constructions. And, and this is easy to do. This is something we do. And I just kind of mentioned it to these guys. And they looked at me and they said, we would have loved it if our acoustical engineer had offered that to us, Ugh. but they never did. So we relied on that acoustical engineer to meet our needs of soundproofing mm-hmm. and they didn't do it. And so it ended up being a multi-million dollar lawsuit, and the poor architect was dragged in because the architect is overseeing sure. the work of the acoustical engineer. And the architect's saying, why are you suing me over acoustics? I don't know anything about acoustics. I hired the acoustical engineer. Yeah. And so the architect, if you're designing a big deal, blank check recording studio with expectations, the idea of having a peer review okay. of the acoustical design. Easiest thing in the world, inexpensive, never happened. And so we spent uh, years doing an autopsy figuring out- what. as in years? Yeah, because month after month, the depositions, and and so that's, that's an example of where, had there been clearer thinking in the beginning on the part of the architect, the acoustical consultant,
1: they would have met the client's objectives. Yeah, about meeting the client objectives. And that story, that really, I'm sure, stung a lot of people in a lot of ways for a long time. How can uh, architects mitigate or, or minimize that happening in a lot of things they do? Because I don't think they're all aware that this has happened.
3: Well, they obviously need to put acoustics on the checklist. Okay. And as I say, if it's, if it's a very important facility, the idea of a peer review, getting another independent acoustical engineer to review and comment, uh, because one needs to look at the downside risk. You're spending a lot of money for this facility. People are going to want to operate it on day, operate within it on day one. And what if it doesn't meet the acoustical needs? What's it going to cost to fix it? could be months of disruption, very expensive. So that's the downside risk. So to avoid the damage that can be done, and obviously the architects may be partly to blame, you just simply say to the owner, gee, I'd like to get a peer review of this acoustical design just so we make sure Simple, easy, there's peer reviews for structural designs for a lot of mechanical designs mm-hmm. so i I would think that would be something that should be considered.
1: what if every architect residential commercial hospital whatever did this at the very beginning or planned to do this at the very beginning? How much do you think court cases would be uh, minimized? I know it's a type of hypothetical, but yeah, it, it's for our audience yeah um,
3: i I would say that this peer review idea is something that would uh, come up in a few situations where acoustics was critical. Uh, as they say, recording studio, sure. broadcast studio, just a standard apartment building. The architect needs to ask good questions of of their acoustical consultant to make sure that their acoustical consultant is paying attention, providing adequate details, reviewing the drawings, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I have an interesting case. It's a federal case down in San Diego. A real federal case. It's a real federal case <laughs> in, in San Diego. Uh, we're going to trial the next couple of months. And the Navy for this particular building had acoustical standards for the building. An acoustical engineer was hired solely to meet those acoustical standards That acoustical consultant never reviewed the final drawings. At the end of the day, the building did not meet the Navy standards. The Navy would not accept the building. It took a year and a half and hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix that. And now there is this lawsuit where they sued the acoustical engineer, the architect, the mechanical contractor, the general contractor, the mechanical engineer the air balance people, that deep. they're all in this litigation and has. So, so here's what's interesting about that particular case. In the contract of the general contractor and in the contract of the architect, it says you must verify that you're meeting the Navy criteria. Had either one of those entities written a letter to the acoustical consultant, one sentence, which is, Please review the final documents and send us a letter verifying that our design meets the Navy criteria. One sentence. Had either of those two entities done that, everything would have been mitigated. Because that acoustical consultant had the wherewithal to Mm -hmm. do the engineering. But it just never happened because those two entities didn't do their contractual responsibility
1: of overseeing that the Navy criteria would be met. Amazing. That one sentence. But that one sentence that you just shared with us, it took a number of years and a lot of experience to know what that one sentence is, correct? Yes. That that one sentence could have saved, I don't know, the figure on what this lawsuit is, but potentially millions? I would say millions because I've mentioned six
3: entities involved. They all have attorneys. They all have expert witnesses. The case has been going on for years. There are thousands of documents that everybody has to read associated with this one case. So I'm going to say millions.
1: So multi-millions, years of anguish, um. Not to mention every all the problems that are associated with that anguish, with just that. No, I know it's one sentence, it's but one there's sentence. but there's a lot of knowledge and uh, um, that's intel. That's just not information that you're able to share with them to say that would have stopped all this. Exactly. So again, I'm going to go back to what we we talked to at the beginning of our show is what is. The best way to mitigate that again before this all potentially goes there is it to hire an acoustical, acoustic engineer at the beginning and just know that's just part of our package. That's just what we do, whether we're, you're building a closet or you're, you have a, a sound studio.
3: If an architect does one building type and he, the architect has perfected that one building type could be offices, single family homes, multifamily housing, and he's working with, similar clients in each project then after a while they know what's needed acoustically but the minute that architect works in an alien building type then
1: getting acoustical advice for this new building type uh, would be warranted excellent this is the modern architect on kzsu stanford 90.1
2: fm Comprehensive information on Bay Area classical music concerts can be found at the San Francisco Classical Voice website, sfcv.org. For daily, weekly, or monthly information on classical music concerts throughout the Bay Area, simply visit sfcv.org.
1: We're talking today with Charlie Salter, professional engineer and president of Charles M. Salter and Associates Incorporated. For more information, you can visit www.cmsalter.com. That's www.cmsalter.com. Charlie, share with us, you're doing it already, but some of the other, you know, some of the other challenges in your profession and your experiences that you hear, see, experience on almost a, a weekly basis that are the same. Type of challenges that you know? Oh boy, this could have been avoided uh, uh, earlier, and you, you feel kind of bad for the for the folks involved.
3: Well, in our design work, there are successes and disappointments, as with all designers. So we're part of the team, and when we're involved in a good project, the architect and mechanical engineer, structural electrical contractor, subcontractor they're all listening to each other and they have their heart in the right place and they're trying to do a yeah. really good job within, as I say, the budget and the needs of the project. So uh, that's what we strive for. And many of our clients have been working with for decades. And so you just build up a comfort with each other. So that makes work much easier when you're working with a new architect, contractor, owner, then you have the unknown factor that they don't know if they can trust you if you're a reasonable person. Even you,
1: you know, with your experience, the number of years, they still have you. Still have to validate that trust factor.
3: Absolutely, and okay. so one one vexing factor, as you can imagine, is we get hired on a project, and then we're cross examined and second guessed right and left, <laughs> and I'm and I say to myself. Why did you hire me if you know so much? <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. And and so there are people that way. They have to know more than you. And that's uh, one of the challenges we have when you have a know-it-all client, architect, contractor. And so you need to listen politely yeah. and then periodically explain you know, to the extent they make errors where they're making errors and, and be very clear. Yeah. How much
1: does ego come into play in, in your experience with clients?
3: Well, we all have egos, sure. and it's just something that has to be controlled. And so most people see the benefit in doing the right thing, listening, technical expertise. And then there are these other circumstances where people, as I say, need to be know everything, and you're just sitting there wondering why you got hired. So that that's a challenge in communication and all human interaction.
1: Yeah. Have you gone into a well, – this is a rhetorical question in a way, but have you gone into a building that you know was uh, quite expensive to build, took a long time, and you go in and it just it sounds terrible?
3: Yes, that's happened on numerous occasions. And, and so that's my uh, predilection about a particular environment, but to the extent that the – Clients think it's great or they're making lots of money and nobody's uh, really complaining loud enough so that people care, then I just accept the decisions they made. And well, let's take a restaurant. If okay. a restaurant's very noisy, great food, and I'm offended by how loud it is and I can't carry on a conversation, I just won't go there. And then sometimes I'll complain. and <laughs> But nevertheless, that's my choice, whereas other people are potentially not bothered by
1: the problem. Yeah, I would think in public spaces in particular that that the acoustics would be highly valued. Is it?
3: Well, I would say so. As we've been discussing, there's this uh, wide sensibility about public space. Some people are finding that virtually everything is too noisy for them and other people just don't care about noise. And, and so, as I say, with this wide range of people's responses to
1: acoustic environments, it makes our work a lot more interesting. Yeah. Now, there's been a lot of attention, I'd say, within the last probably decade, longer, or longer than that, but f- a focus on it, about the lighting, the importance of lighting and how it affects behavior, uh, positive and negative. How about the acoustics of it? I would think it's just as important. What's your... F-
3: Yes. And, and so, there's a couple of issues I'll bring to your attention. Uh, are you familiar with the term biophilia? No. So bioph- now I am. But. <laughs> I, I, I learned about biophilia very recently. And, it's and how was it, biophilia? Biophilia. And okay. it's the effect of uh, the natural environment on human beings. Okay. And so, the, the effect of lighting, how you feel about lighting, or a sound. And so, in these corporate environments, these corporations want their employees to be comfortable and so the acoustics is a part of having employees be comfortable be satisfied be healthy healthy environments okay and so you have this cross-linkage between uh, lighting and acoustics and, and air quality and acoustics and the way people feel in a given environment. And sometimes it's um, subliminal. You don't know why you don't feel good. You just don't like working in this environment. <laughs> and then other times you can articulate, it's too noisy, I can't concentrate. So, another, so that's one issue, biophilia. The other issue is people are now being polled on the internet about uh, how they like their office environment, what complaints they have. And in office environments nowadays, the number one complaint is acoustics. Is that right? Number one complaint, acoustics. So when people are complaining in, in a survey about acoustics, most companies really care about that because they don't want their, they want to satisfy the employees. And so that is new. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, there was really no polling of employees about uh, the acoustics. But now <clears throat> it's being polled, and these companies are actively implementing acoustical design objectives because of complaints they've had. And they're also actively fixing the acoustics in areas where people are complaining. So those are two new phenomenon in, the, in uh,
1: our building design. What, did the, what, the last decade that there's been? Four? Absolutely, the last decade. Okay. what natural nature space do you either go to or have been to where the acoustics are almost perfect other than you can say all of nature yes but in particular a space where if you can replicate that space that's that's in nature in the built environment where or what area would you use or refer to if you can recall or care to
3: well, in terms of the outdoor environment, yes. there are certain awe-inspiring natural environment. Thinking of Yosemite, okay, or the Grand Canyon. Just the the sound quality in these outdoor environments, the silence, and, or being near the ocean. I grew up in Boston, and just something about hearing the noise of waves, either East Coast, West Coast, uh-huh. around the world, and and so these are. Natural environments that I, that I feel are uh, important. And then interior environments, there's nothing more important in a residential environment than the ability to sleep. Okay, And mm-hmm. so if your bedroom is noisy, you're disturbed, you hear every car pass by, your neighbors are making noise, you can't sleep, it's going to adversely affect your health as compared to other issues you might have in in your home. And so my bedroom happens to be very quiet. And I'm very thankful for that acoustic environment because every day... Did you you create
1: that or was it that way? It it
3: just happened. And my wife and I sought out a home that was in a quiet environment. So a lot of the homes we were were taken to are looking around to buy a house. They were just too noisy, and we just said no. And eventually (laughs) we we got the broker uh, to realize it needs to be— Oh, yeah, how did
1: that work with the broker say, this is the silent— Quiet, yeah.
3: And so when we found our house, uh, we talked on the phone uh, to the people selling a house, and we talked about quietness. And and their attitude was, this is a very quiet house. We're next to a—we're at the end of um, a road— and I said, okay, we want to see this house. Okay. And we drove in, we looked at it, and we said, this is it, before we even oh. walked into the house. And part Did of it was, really, huh? it was quiet. Before you even looked at the house? We, we, we drove in, we looked, looked at the house, but the environment, in part the acoustics and the aesthetics, was ideal before we walked into the house.
1: That's interesting because it leads to, I said, I was going to say something that doesn't sound relevant to our show, but it, it, in a way it does to what you just shared with us is, you know, sometimes there's talk of what is the, in, the, in an afterlife, whatever your religious belief system is. But what if it is sound? Like that is the gift of an afterlife is sound and the sound it will connect to, you know, your essence of your soul. What's your thought on that? That's something I've never thought of.
3: I, the see, I knew the it was going to be
1: one for the uh, yeah, you know, a show. So, that's going to so make this show turn a little bit. But yeah,
3: I don't have any comment. I haven't thought okay, about okay. that, but I will think of it. Okay, I will think about it
1: now <laughs> that you've posed the question. Yeah, well, that also I'm exposing what what I how the value I feel that sound is to almost every environment, and we we obviously talk with the with the nature and the sound of of that. Also the outdoor, you know, you shared with us a project that you did. I believe I remember the city, Southern California where you have a photo of an out outdoors. And I would think just walking by, like, what does that have to do with what you do? Share with us how you impacted uh, and improved that outdoor environment. Well, uh, the project I showed you was in Carlsbad,
3: California, and it was an elderly housing complex. and, And the photograph on the wall is a, it's a beautifully designed complex uh, Steinberg group uh, from okay yeah um, from San Jose and we got involved because the city had a very strict property line noise limit for mechanical noise so we had to go down there measure the ambient noise and then review all the air conditioning equipment and write a letter to the city verifying that the design would meet their standards so these modern projects they were involved in. There are more and more city and state federal requirements for noise that were not in existence when I started my career 50 years
1: ago. Really? So what was it that that, that, uh, – are you seeing or experiencing more of this?
3: Yes. Now, one interesting transition in our society was the advent of jet aircraft. Okay. And they started flying (laughs) many jets – out of various airports around the world and people living near these airports started complaining about noise. So that this was over 40 years ago. That triggered the requirement for environmental noise analysis. Oh. So rather than having a surprise and all of these people impacted, oh. <laughs> yeah. it needs to be studied and evaluated, particularly in the state in the state of California. Yeah. But there are federal requirements and then Requirements throughout the states because of noise,
1: noise impact, new technologies, etc. How about now? Is noise and noise impact? Is the federal government, in your experience, proactive in addressing that, or is it like it sounds like reactive? And the people complain enough and end up threatening, you know, maybe even threaten lawsuits. Then they go ahead and say, okay, how do we how do we adjust for this or or, or make this better? Well, the federal government promulgated national standards.
3: Almost 50 years ago, and and that's um, set the scene.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, This is the modern architect, KZSU, 90.1 FM, Stanford. We're talking today with Charles M. Salter, professional engineer and president of Charles M. Salter and Associates Incorporated. For more information, you can visit www.cmsalter.com. That's C-M-S-A-L-T-E-R.com. Charlie, um, what mindset... And your experience is needed to to help architecture firms kind of move up to the 21st century with acoustics or relative to acoustics and the importance of it.
3: I would say most architects acknowledge the importance of it. Okay. So it's just a matter of them being a little more comprehensive in their thinking about acoustics because designing in the built environment nowadays is overwhelming with all the variables that are required to pay attention to. So it's easy... To not appreciate all of the nuances of acoustics. And I mentioned in Carlsbad the property line mechanical noise. Mm-hmm. That's so easy for an architect to overlook. Sure. And yet it's a code requirement for the city. Uh, and it would be embarrassing for the architect if, in fact, there were complaints and they violated that code. So just appreciating more of the acoustical
1: considerations as a part of their building. In my opinion, it would actually enhance their work. What's your thought on that?
3: Yes. Yes, because there's going to be more satisfaction on the part of of the client as compared to, gee, you did these 99 things right, but this 1%, you picked loud exhaust fans in the bathroom. And you need to fix it because I'm paying all this money. And so all of a sudden, this very small thing ended up being a blight, had to be a retrofit, embarrassing. And it's relatively
1: trivial, yet the owner was uh, upset with the architect. Yeah, especially at the end of it all. Charles, do you have any quotes or any... any, uh People, you know, obviously, people that inspire you—not just as a profession, but even personally. That the, any any particular quote that you kind of not live by, but kind of goes through your head, or you recall from uh, you know past, present, or even right now, any in particular.
3: Well, I I don't have any quotes per se, but I I mentioned a couple of my favorite ways of seeing our work, and that is the subjective aspect of acoustics separated from the objective aspect of acoustics. So I think that's important to be thoughtful about. And then the uh, term downside risk, to be paying attention to the downside risk. So I'll give you a specific example. An architect designed a multifamily housing project, and there were a 100 party walls between the condominiums on this project. And... The architect, in the design of that party wall, made an error. So he had a 100 party walls being built negligently. And so the architect was sued, and I get involved, and the architect said, Charlie, um, you know, I made this mistake. How could you have helped me? I said, you know, had you sent me your design, I could have looked at it, told you the error you made, I would have charged you nothing. So that's a specific example oh. of you're doing something a hundred times. What if it's not detailed correctly? Gee, I should take five minutes out of my busy day to check in with Charlie or somebody else, uh, to make sure that my design is correct. Oh yeah. So the 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 term not really a quote, the downside risk. Okay. Be constantly thinking about that.
1: Yeah. Charlie, is there anything else that we, you'd like to share with us and share with our audience that we may not have discussed in our, in our show today that we may not have touched on? would love to hear it.
3: Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you
1: and oh, likewise, talk an about our work. And yeah. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you very much. Very much. We were uh, terrific. It's a terrific show. It's been an honor, Charlie, to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. hope you consider coming on soon in the near future. Glad to come back. Love to have you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been Charles M. Salter, professional engineer and president of Charles M. Salter and Associates Incorporated. Charlie applies his expertise in design, construction business, and the law to his practice of acoustical consulting. Currently, he manages over 100 projects involving building acoustics and environmental noise analysis. His accomplishments have included work on the Skywalker Ranch's state-of-the-art post-production studios which won the national engineering award in 1988 and the allied professionals honor award from the american institute of architects california council in 98 charles also co-authored acoustics architecture engineering the environment written by charles m salter and associates and published by william stout publishers for more information feel free to visit www.cmsalter.com that's cmsalter.com join us again next time When we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader, committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives.
2: The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, and it's a production of KZC Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.